Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizier, and I'm joined today by Joe Anity and Austin Pine. It's good to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's good to be here. Good to be back. Yeah, this is our technically really our our, our second episode. I mean, we did an intro, and then uh, what it means to be Reformed Baptist was our first official episode, and and here we are. I'm um, really excited for today's topic. It's very central, very huge, and it's very appropriate that we're addressing it right away. So yeah, again, the the idea behind this podcast is that we would address topics that uh, the people of Emmaus Christian Fellowship are interested in, and. Uh, that we'd address things that are kind of central to the Christian faith. And uh, so my, my thought was that we would address this topic or the question, uh, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And kind of connected to that is uh, the question, who is it uh, that is responsible to proclaim uh, the gospel? And um, so, yeah, that's where we're at. I, I figure let's, let's dive right into that. But um, what is the gospel? When you guys hear that, that, that word, uh, what does it mean to you exactly? I mean, I would imagine that people think all sorts of things when they hear gospel. Um, some think of music, right? Gospel music. Yeah, sure. Um, others think of uh, uh, something that is more akin to what we would call the social gospel, you know, um, acts of mercy, acts of kindness, just being a nice person. But um, what do you guys understand the word gospel to mean? I think it's the most basic form. Just I always think good news, right? It's something that's to be proclaimed and you're supposed to be excited about, something that we should be uh, glad to share. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the most basic things. We need to realize that it is a message, and it's something that's to be proclaimed. People talk a lot about living the gospel, right? And of course, that's true. As Christians, um, our way of life should be consistent with the gospel. Um, you've, you've heard the expression, uh, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words, Right, right. Oh, of course. I think it's attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi, but I think that it's, I don't think they've ever found any writings yeah. to attribute it to, though. Um, but I think there's a real problem with that whole concept: preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. It implies that you could actually preach the gospel without words. You know, uh, it, it implies that you can mm-hmm. communicate the gospel just by our actions, and, and that's not very helpful. I, I think the gospel must be proclaimed. It is a message, and of course, our way of life, our good deeds, should accompany the gospel and, and should adorn the gospel, actually, to use the language of our confession. Uh, but it is first and foremost a message. You guys are entirely right about that. Um, so imagine you had 30 seconds to present the gospel to somebody. You know, they said, I, I'm only willing to listen to you uh, for, for 30 seconds. Uh, go for it. What, what would you guys, what would you guys want to make sure that you communicate in that period of time? 30 seconds is a lot of pressure. That's a very brief amount of time, and so, I mean, of course, you want to get to the heart of it, and so, uh, you know, if we are going to boil it down, what is the heart of the gospel? I think we need to recognize who God is as a holy God who deserves our or His glory uh, from our lives, and uh, so a text like Romans 3.23, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of that glory or of the glory of God, uh, communicates a huge truth. That's the starting point, that we are a sinful creature uh, before a holy holy God, a holy being, and uh, yet at the same time, uh, from beginning to end, scriptures tell us uh, the the message that God is about redeeming his people, and so y- we should go to a place like John three sixteen right after that, where it says, uh, for God so loved the world, and of course, he does love uh, his, his creatures, his children, so much so that he would give his own son uh, for those that would believe so that they would have eternal life, and 
and we can get into so much more obviously in in a 30 second amount of time it's i'm so brief but yeah, the I'm, idea is communicated by these two verses i think are, are very central i mean the, the question after that would be can the gospel really be understood when presented in 30 seconds that that's a huge question so i, I agree with the text that you went to austin um two things i think need to be communicated sin and savior right mm-hmm. we have this sin problem that separates us from the holy god but yet God has provided a savior for us that if we would believe in him and trust in him, there's eternal life. But the question you asked, Mike, is is very important. Um, are people able to understand that message when it's only presented them in 30 seconds? And I, I would say it depends upon the person. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of depends upon the culture, too, in terms of how much the, the culture or the individual understands about the message of Scripture. Uh, before the gospel is presented to them. So if they're well-read, you know, if they have a good deal of knowledge about the God of the Bible, um, if they have a good deal of knowledge about the story of the Bible, I suppose a 30-minute gospel presentation could be effective with a person like that. The Spirit could use it to kind of prick their conscience, you know, and, 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 to, and to provoke them to to repentance. The Spirit could do anything, actually. We have to keep that in mind. But... Um, I could imagine in some circumstances the Spirit using a very simple gospel presentation to, to, to bring a person to repentance. But I would say, and I think you guys would agree with me, in most instances, a gospel presentation like that would probably raise more questions than it answers, you know? Right. Oh, definitely. And when I think along with the concept that you're uh, explaining, it uh, harkens back to, I don't remember if it's Spurgeon or Sproul, uh, one of the great preachers when asked a very similar question, uh, responded with, uh, you know, say you have a half hour or an hour to spend with somebody to give them the gospel. How do you approach that time? Uh, whoever this individual was responded with, uh, I, I spend 90% of that time asking them questions, finding out what they know mm-hmm. and then addressing. And then, and then based on their pre pre knowledge, you can either tear down or you can build up from what they already understand as a gospel. So I think having, a good idea of what people's perception of that's gospel great, or yeah, that's a great point. concept like of really God. Building that relationship with that person to find out where they're at in order to deliver a message that they'll understand more efficiently or, yeah, that's great. Sure. So, I mean, think about it. Uh, if you walk up to somebody who's never read the Bible before and they've never been in church and their parents didn't tell them anything about God and you say, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you know, and then you talk about how the wages of sin is death. Um, it's a lot of big words uh, in there. And, and then you say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I think of all the questions that need to be answered just from that simple presentation. Who is God? Is there one God or is there many? What is he like? Uh, what is sin exactly? You use this word sin. Well, what is that? And, and what does the glory of God have to do with sin? Uh, what, what does the phrase the glory of God mean and, and how do we fall short of it? Um, you know, he gave his only son. Who is that? And what does it mean, you know, that he's the son of God? And why is faith in him or belief in him effective for salvation? So that's what I mean, that if someone doesn't have the necessary background information, a simple 30-second gospel presentation might end up raising more questions than it, than it answers. Sure. And that's fine. I mean, the Spirit can use that. And, of course, our, our deep hope would be that we would have more than 30 seconds to talk yeah. with people well, about the gospel. Yeah, yeah, well, along those lines, like, I mean, let's say you have a little bit more time. Let's say not... 30 minutes to an hour, but let's say you had 20 minutes, what would you say? Right. You know, I, I think it is interesting to note, um, when, when you read the book of Acts, okay, 
this this is a great place to go to answer your question. You know, what should we do if we had 20 minutes, let's say? Um, go to the book of Acts, you know, which is um, a book devoted to telling us what the early apostles did and how they preached and how they established the church and, and how they organized the church, you know. And, and I think it's interesting uh, paying attention to the way that they, um, uh, they preach the gospel. So I, I have in mind, uh, for example, Acts... Uh, chapter 3, where um, uh, we, we begin to read, excuse me, it's it's Acts chapter 2, where we read of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, you know, um, he has the opportunity to preach a rather lengthy sermon, he has the opportunity to give the gospel to, to his, his Jewish uh, brethren, and he does so by backing up and preaching the gospel, not from the New Testament, the New Testament hadn't been written then, but he preaches the gospel from the Old Testament, you know, and he begins to speak to his audience by saying, you know, look, this is what God did in the past, and here's how Christ relates to that. The same could be said um, of Stephen's sermon, uh, Stephen being the first uh, martyr uh, of the church. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, he preached the gospel, and he does it in the same way. He, he preaches it from the Old Testament. He begins to retell these great stories of God and how God... Uh, has been active in redemption from the time of the fall onward, and he shows how Christ fits into all that. So I think we should follow the same pattern, you know, that that we should, I mean, this sounds kind of strange, but not so much start with Jesus, but start with the backstory. Start with everything that that uh, leads up to Jesus. What well, do you guys think? I mean, oh, absolutely. We have, to, we have to have an understanding of our need for that Savior. What's Jesus matter if you don't know about the fall, if you don't know if there is a sin problem uh, or if, um, you know, God has prescribed a manner of worship and uh, purification. And so I think that understanding your audience is hugely important for addressing these very important questions. Right. Yeah, I I just I think Christians need to come to terms with this, that we're living in a culture that is more and more post-Christian. You know, right. I think there was a day where you probably could have preached the gospel to people in a very succinct way, and they would have kind of gotten it, or maybe a gospel track, you know, a really short one would have would have worked. I think more and more we're encountering people who they just have they don't have a Christian worldview at all. They have no understanding of the of the the message of the Bible, and so you have to, you know, be prepared. I think to walk them through and to present to them the Christian worldview in a more right. um, holistic way. I, I came across something a couple of years ago that. I thought was really helpful. Um, someone showed me, um, it, it was kind of like a gospel tract, I guess, um, a little booklet, and it presented the gospel using the acronym GRACE, so G-R-A-C-E. And uh, I thought it was a helpful tool in that it helps Christians to remember the key things that need to be talked about. But uh, G, what, what do you guys think? I don't think I've gone over this with you really, but what, what do you think G stands for in GRACE? Imagine it starts Grace. with God, right? I mean, oh, you're wrong, Mike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot more sense to start with God. <laughs> uh, the acronym's Grace, but the G starts. It, it, it reminds us that we got to back up to the beginning and talk about God first. So the opening line of Scripture is, "In the beginning, God." You know, and so we talk about God as Creator. Uh, we talk about God as being holy. Uh, we talk about the arrangement that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall, you know. Um, and so we really need to start there, that that there is a God who created 
everything, including you. And so we have this relationship that's established. There's a creature-creator relationship that's established, a, a creator-creature relationship that, that, that's established. God deserves our worship just on the very mm-hmm. basis that we are his creatures. You know, so you kind of have to begin there. Um, but, of course, only the first two chapters of the Bible are, are describing to us um, God in right relationship with humanity. It's only, you know, by chapter 3 that we're hearing of something else, and that's what the R stands for. It stands for uh, rebellion. Um, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about Adam's sin and how uh, all of us are born into sin after Adam's original rebellion, after he ate of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Uh, each and every one of us are born in sin and are at enmity with God because of that. I, I think just the narrative itself proves this. Um, you'll notice that Adam and Eve sinned, and they themselves um, received a curse. You know, the serpent was also cursed. And Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, and they began to have children. But notice where the, ch- where the children were born, you know. They weren't born back in the garden, you know. Uh, when Eve gave birth to Abel, you know, when Eve gave birth to Cain, uh, those children were not, were not placed back in the garden in that state of perfection and given another chance to, you know, do things right themselves. They were born uh, east of Eden, if you will, to use that, that, that sort of language. They were born outside of the garden. And um, I think that just signifies the fact that they, unlike Adam and Eve, were born in corruption. And we got to talk about that. We got to talk about fall, the fall. So G stands for God. R stands for rebellion. A stands for. Do I want to give you another chance to guess at this? I don't know. Mike, you want to take another shot at it? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to guess either. Atonement. Oh, oh. of course, yeah. Atonement. And uh, and so once we talk about God and once we talk about the rebellion, we need to start talking about. Um, the fact that God determined to save mm-hmm. by ato- by atoning for the sins of 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 man, and the word atonement it, it it just it refers to this fact that God has made a way for our sins to be covered, uh, for our sins to be cleansed, and and of course when when uh, when Christians think about atonement, what do you think they think of principally? The cross, the cross the of blood. Christ, yeah, yeah, the, the cross of Christ, the blood of of, of Jesus. Uh, that is where the great act of atonement took place. But that's not the first place we can start to talk about atonement. Um, we could actually go all the way back to the moments after the rebellion and show how God himself clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of animals. They were ashamed of their nakedness, and God, through uh, the death of, of animals, clothed them. And he also promised to them that he would send a savior who would, uh, you know, crush the head of the serpent who had brought the temptation their way. That That's announced in Genesis 3.15. So a promise is made immediately after the fall that, that God is going to atone for sins. He's going to provide a savior. And that promise um, is reiterated over and over again, and it's shown in different ways throughout the Old Testament. So I'm thinking of uh, the promise made to Abraham that from him a Savior will come. I'm, I'm thinking of the picture of Abraham taking his son Isaac up onto the mountain, you know, and he um, is told to sacrifice his his one and only son. And, of course, God never intended for 
Isaac to be sacrificed, but it served as a picture and it demonstrated Abraham's faith that God would provide atonement. And so he was there and he lifted up the knife and, and yet God called out to him um, and and called him to stop. And, and there was a substitute provided, a ram caught in a thicket. You know, So what I'm saying is that we need to talk about atonement, but I think it's good for us to talk about it by backing all the way up to Genesis 3.15 and kind of moving forward the old te- through the Old Testament a little bit, showing how there are all these pictures of the coming Christ. We could talk about the temple um, sacrificial system of the temple in, in Old Testament times. We could talk about the Passover feast. And um, all of these things are pictures of the one who was promised from long ago. And then, of course, when Jesus appears on the scene, he doesn't appear out of the blue, but he appears in fulfillment to the Old Testament scriptures. He's the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so people need that background, I think, to see that the Bible tells one story. It was written over a very long period of time by many people, but it tells one story because the ultimate author is is God. Hmm. So that's atonement. G, God. R, rebellion, A, atonement. Um, So that's the accomplishment of salvation for us. But we have to talk about how to receive it, and that's what C stands for. You could, I guess, use either conversion or confession. Either way, it, it communicates the same principle that we must believe. We must repent of our sins and turn to Christ. We must convert turn to Christ and confess him as Lord. We must trust in him for our salvation. Uh, the New Testament and the Old are abundantly clear on this point that salvation is received uh, by faith. Faith is the instrument by which we receive um, uh, the grace of God offered to us in Christ Jesus. And so we need to talk about that. And then the last thing, E in the acronym, stands for eternal life. And I think people need to hear this, that in Christ Jesus, we have hope of eternal life in the future. That is, we have this hope that when we pass from this earth, when our bodies go into the grave, our souls will be present with God. We have hope in a future resurrection when soul and body will be united again in, in, a, um, in a perfect way. We have a hope in uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Basically, our hope is this, that we will, um, in eternity, enjoy paradise, uh, the kind of paradise that Adam and Eve had in the garden, but far better because there will no, there, there will be no possibility of rebellion again. We can't go back to R in the final state. So people need to hear that we have the hope of eternal life in the future, but they also need to hear that we begin to experience and taste and live uh, in the power of that eternal life even now. And Christ spoke often this, especially in the Gospel of John, about how to know him is, is to have to possess currently uh, life eternal. Uh, we, are, uh, we are moved from a state of spiritual death to a state of spiritual life the moment we believe, you know, and people need to be um, presented with that truth. So I, I don't know if you guys find that helpful, yeah. but I find that acronym helpful, G-R-A-C-E, God, Rebellion, Atonement, Conversion, and Eternal Life. And, 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 and you know, you can walk, people through that in a 20-minute period of time, and I think at least they'd be given a, a full picture of, of the gospel. I mean, what do you guys think about all that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to at least whet somebody's appetite to understand uh, or look into more, ask questions, and 
you may have a brief time or a moment to to start the conversation, but uh, I think the goal is that as we're living out the gospel, and in that sense, we uh, have relationships where we come back to this topic and we readdress people's questions or misconceptions, uh, and we're constantly preaching the gospel and not just you know, make it a one-time deal that, oh, you know, I, I, I preach the gospel to my friend or this family member, uh, and now I just wait, but we come back and we help to clarify and walk them through um, to a proper place of understanding. Well, I like what you said earlier, the point about how it's important to maybe spend more time asking questions and listening than actually talking. And uh, But you you can do that using this acronym too, to where you don't just use it as a framework for you to preach at them, but you use it as a framework knowing that you're going to have to ask questions about how they view God mm, right. and how they view uh, the, the, um, the wickedness we see in the world. Where does that come from, you know, to deal with the issue of rebellion um, and, and so on and, and so forth? Why, they, why there's something to be saved from? Like what, what, you know, what is there to be saved from? What is the, mm-hmm. the wickedness? Yeah, like you're saying, and what is the wickedness internally in, in us? And uh, and why that's uh, – to see that, I guess, contrasting a holy God um, is, is important. Yeah. Right. And eventually the goal would be to take people to the scriptures and to demonstrate all of this from the scriptures. But, I mean, really you could come up with um, kind of a plan of action to do that relatively quickly. I remember when I was in high school mm-hmm. I used to carry around a little uh, index thing, you know, in my Bible just with key scripture texts which kind of, you know – um, demonstrated these different principles effectively. I, I was I was a pretty cool guy in high school, as you can tell. But <laughs> can only imagine, yeah, right? Um, no, it, it it was helpful, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. Um, it kind of leads to this last question I want to deal with, and I'll ask it of you guys. Uh, I get this often: uh, who, who is responsible uh, to preach the gospel? You know, we're talking about evangelism here. That's a new term I'm introducing. Evangelism it, it refers to the proclamation of this good news. Um, but but who is called to preach the gospel? Who is called to evangelize? Any thoughts? Well, yeah, for sure, on some level, all Christians are called to be able to proclaim the gospel, to share it with uh, people they encounter, uh, friends, family, strangers, whatever it may be. We are called, all of us, um, to be able to understand it and share it, right? I mean, that's a that's a for sure thing. Yeah, we're called to be prepared to give an account, right, for the hope that we have within us. Um, and so I think there's multiple levels on which we could kind of address this question, who it is that's called to um, preach the gospel or to evangelize. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree, Mike. In one sense, everybody should be equipped to share the gospel and to give a, a testimony for the hope that we have within us. Um, but then at maybe a more specific level, we could go to um, – just say the pastor of of the flock, right, is the one who's called to proclaim on a regular basis, week in and week out, mm-hmm. uh, from the pulpit. I think that's a very powerful place that um, I don't know. People just maybe don't realize the implications of of the preaching ministry, but um, I think that the preacher should be called of the task to faithfully handle the gospel and to be preaching right. the gospel regularly. So I think of that text where Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. You know, um, I, I think that's a very important principle that pastors are to do evangelistic ministry. And that might include, but doesn't necessarily include, you know, evangelism out in the community. I think the first place a pastor is to do evangelism is from the pulpit. And understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that 
every sermon should be a bare bones, basic gospel presentation, you know, as if every sermon is going to have five points to it, G-R-A-C-E, right? That's not the point. The point is that the scriptures are to be taught, but if the scriptures are taught correctly, then the gospel is going to be central. It's going to come through, even if the teaching is really technical and it's on some precise theological concept or something. How could the gospel not come through on a regular basis because the central figure of all of scripture is Christ in the cross mm, of Christ. Absolutely. Right. And and this goes into, I'm not going to go crazy into this, but this will go into something we'll talk about more later, but even our entire liturgy, the point of it yeah. is to communicate the gospel throughout the entirety of the service. Absolutely. And, yeah. So, so uh, pastors are, are to preach the gospel. And one of the ways, honestly, one of the ways to evangelize people is to bring them to church. It should be. You know, not not to be a part of, you know, some lightweight gospel presentation where it's just a simple, simplicity of the gospel being presented, but bring people to church with you so that they can hear the scriptures taught and, and they can uh, encounter the gospel as it, as it bleeds through uh, the pages of scripture. Um, I think that's a very important uh, thing. And, and um, the last thing that needs to be said, though, is that there are some within the congregation— who have the gift of evangelism. Evangelism is one of the gifts that, that, that um, is mentioned in the New Testament. Some have the gift of mercy, and so they're to give mercy um, faithfully in accordance with their gift. Some have the gift of knowledge, and they should use it to the glory of God. Some have the gift of generosity. Some have the gift of service, and on and on we can go. Um, and so the scriptures are clear that God not only calls us to himself, but when he calls us to himself, he gives us gifts, and we're to use those gifts faithfully. And one of the gifts is the gift of evangelism. And so there are some who have that gift, and I think they should use it in a pronounced way. Uh, that means they should give themselves to the task of preaching the gospel uh, in in the community. I, this is a very important thing, though. It's a very important concept to grasp because I think— we oftentimes don't use very precise language and term, terminology here to where when the question is asked, who is responsible to do evangelism, we say, everybody, and that's all we say. Right, yeah. I don't think that's quite right. Um, there's some truth to it, but it's not. It, it's kind of a sloppy way of mm-hmm. talking. So imagine being a brand-new Christian and not having the gift of evangelism. You're an introvert. You know, you're kind of a, a, a gifts of service kind of person. You know, you like being behind the scenes and being in front of people terrifies you. Imagine being a new believer and hearing the pastor say, everybody is called to evangelize. I mean, that's terrifying, you know? Sure. Uh, we, we don't say to people, everyone is called to get up on a Sunday morning and to preach. We don't say that to people, but we do say everyone called, is called to be an evangelist. Well, it, that's not entirely true. I think evangelism and the gift of evangelism is a very specific thing that some within the congregation um, are particularly gifted for. And we need to recognize that. We need to identify those. We need to, you know, um, encourage the use of those gifts and send them out to use it faithfully. But again, that does not take away the fact that all Christians ought to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in them with meekness, you know, um, and, and fear. They ought to be ready for that. Everyone should, but that doesn't necessarily look like doing open air preaching at the park. You know what it what it looks like is developing a friendship with someone um, over a long period of time, perhaps, 
and and uh, maybe it means waiting for them to ask. You know, why is it that you have peace in your heart or something? And then to share in a very natural, organic, conversational sort of way. Maybe it just means bringing them to church with you, and and so on and so forth. So, I don't know. Does that does that get at it here? You know, in terms of, it, I, think it, I think that yeah, that uh, perspective at looking at evangelism. Um, can be really freeing for a lot of people because, like you said, it is maybe a, a fearful task for those who aren't necessarily gifted with that um, skill set, right, to stand up in front of people or to reach out to people they don't know um, in a cold call kind of sense. But um, understanding evangelism as a task of maybe the pastor and the evangelist um, and then on the broader sense, yes, you are a witness of Christ, but uh, not in the same not in the same sense. There's there's categories perhaps that can be um, freeing for people to maybe lift the burden off their shoulders. And okay, I you know I'm not a failure if I'm not on the corner of State and Stetson with a, a sandwich board sign and a bullhorn. Um, we, right. I think we have misconceptions. I don't know about, if I want anyone doing that, but anyways, go ahead, proceed. <laughs> no, but uh, I just mean, I think we have misconceptions with yeah, what definitely. evangelism really is and yeah. who is to be called, right. uh, is called to do it. Let me address it this way. Matthew 28, 18, right? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who is Jesus speaking to when he utters those words? He, he, he's speaking to he's speaking to his disciples. Yeah. Yeah. Another way to say it is he's speaking to the church. Okay, and what did the apostles or disciples of Christ do? They went out and they began to plant churches. So, who is the Great Commission given to? It's given to the church. And local churches are to make disciples locally and to the ends of the earth. And the thing about local churches is they are made up with people who have different gifts. And all of those gifts operating together make the church the church, make the church healthy. So within a local church, you're going to have people with a variety of gifts, including pastors and teachers including evangelists. And so it is the mission of the church to proclaim the gospel in the local community and be concerned with the the furtherance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So in a way I'm saying no one's off the hook. We're all in this together. The Great Commission is ours. We all must be supremely concerned with it. So you ought to pray for the furtherance of the gospel. You ought to support the ministries of the church so that this mission can be accomplished. You ought to contribute in your unique way using your gifts to the glory of God. So you're not off the hook, but in a way you are in how we're formulating this. We're saying there's a gradient here, right? There's levels to this. There's different giftedness. So not everyone should feel as if they all have to be, you know, the Billy Grahams of, of the world or, or something like that. Or to right? use the, the analogy of the body, right? An arm is not to call out the foot and say, what are you doing? You're not doing right. your job right. But everybody is gifted in a, in a unique unique way for, uh, yeah, the furtherance of the gospel and the carrying out of the Great Commission in that sense. I think that's a very healthy way to approach this for sure. I don't want to get into this too much, Austin, but I mean, your, your j- job description here that, that we're getting rolling on, and the implementation of it is um, director of local and foreign missions, right? 
And someone asked me the other day, well, what are our plans for um, preaching the gospel or doing evangelistic ministry here in, in the San Jacinto Valley? And um, I said, really, it's quite simple. Um, the whole church is on mission. We're going to do this together. And we're going to preach and teach the scripture so that the people of Emmaus are equipped to give an answer for the reason of, you know, for the hope that is in them. Uh, we're we're going to do that. Um, we're going to see where there are pronounced needs within the community so that we can do good within this community and hopefully have an opportunity to preach the gospel. And then, Lord willing, we're going to identify those who have a particular gift, the gift of evangelism, and we're going to help encourage that gift, help refine that gift, and we're going to, Lord willing, send them out to do consistent evangelistic ministry here in the community. And Lord willing, over time, uh, we'll see much fruit from that. So what is the gospel? Um, Grace is a good acronym. Who's called to preach it? In a sense, all are, uh, but especially those who are gifted and called to do so in a pronounced way. What do you think? Does that about sum it up? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very helpful. I think it's it's a great... uh... It's been a great topic to discuss, and, and I think we can all keep in mind that acronym as we um, think on that and think on how to present the gospel. And I think it's also you were talking about freeing. I think um, about this the more of the roles present and gifted giftedness present in our church in the churches and stuff in churches. Um, and I think it's also freeing to remember. And you know, although we do need to be you know making efforts and um, preparing ourselves to share the gospel that it also is the work of the Holy Spirit to change hearts. And how beautiful is that to know as well as keep in mind as we, as we do this, as we share the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a great point to close on. Uh, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. Right. And what does he mean there? Except for that, it's the gospel that God uses to bring uh, people to salvation, but it's the Holy Spirit that makes the words of the gospel powerful and effective. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. must work in in, um, in people's hearts in order for them to come to faith. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, I think that sums it up for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. And if you haven't listened to the first episode or the introduction, um, you can go ahead and find that on our website. Or if you're subscribed to the, the feed, you should uh, be able to see that as well. And um, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks.